Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage, and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we go. When we're tilling the soil and we're doing it over and over and over again, we're taking ancient carbon and releasing it into the atmosphere for short-term gain. And so what we're trying to do is not till the soil, but at the same time, create lots of life in the soil by getting air into it without using tractors and plows, but with using roots and worms and grazing. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Change is in the air. We felt it coming for years and we see it happening before our eyes in this moment. Today's buzzwords were the dreams of innovators from decades past, and innovation can be found everywhere. Today we chat with Lauren and Lisa Poncha, founders of Stimple Creek Ranch. Stimple Creek is not only famous for their regenerative agricultural practices, but they're also the guys shipping protein to every Michelin-rated restaurant in the Bay Area. In our conversation, we talk about the path to carbon neutrality, the future of ranching, and how, despite a global pandemic, 2020 was a profitable year for the ranch. So Lauren and I met in college at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. Go Mustangs. I went off to law school. I went to work for a big company selling veterinary pharmaceuticals. They moved me to Texas. But previously, when I was at Cal Poly, I had always thought that I was going to come home and be a rancher. I realized about my junior year that there wasn't real economic opportunity for me at home if we continued to do things the way that we always had done. So I had to get a job and go away and learn a new trade. And every time I'd leave the ranch, I'd be like, man, I need to figure out a way to do this full time. And right around my 30th birthday, I came home. I told Lisa, I said, hey, we have to figure out a way to move back to this home property and try and make it a profitable business that can be sustainable and live this dream. And I'm perfectly fine going home and trying and failing. But if we never try, I'm always going to wonder what would have happened if we would have tried. And that was basically the start of the creation of Stemple Creek Ranch. Yeah. I mean, we were very fortunate that Lauren's parents, they were ready to move on in their lives as well. And they were very supportive. And I think they were thrilled that we were going to be moving back to the area. So we moved back to Marin County, Northern California, and we both had jobs, our regular full-time jobs. And we started our own business essentially as a side business, as a nights and weekends project. And so we spent a few years working on the infrastructure of Lauren's family's ranch and the water development and the fencing and the genetics of the cattle and kind of underlying big picture things like that. And as we were doing that, we were figuring out, okay, how are we going to make this a profitable business? Let's unpack that a bit though. So what did you see 
that was wrong with their business? And in your mind's eye, what was the solution that you were going to implement? What was wrong with my family's business is basically the same thing that's wrong with most agricultural businesses around the country is they're price takers. So every year you go into the business, you go into build your inventory and grow your product, whatever it is. In this case, it was beef cattle and sheep, lamb. And you never knew at the end of the year what your price was going to be. So it would be similar to having something on a menu and not even knowing how you're going to price it, if it's going to be profitable to have on the menu or not. And we were price takers because we sold all of our product that we raised that year on one day to the highest bidder anywhere around the country at an auction. So there wasn't very much stability at all. And what kind of got us to think, what got me to think more next level was I read the book, The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. And I was like, wow, we have the Bay Area right here. Why are we not giving the Bay Area what they want, which is a high-end, nutrient-dense, high-quality, very flavorful, farm-raised, grass-fed, grass-finished, organic product. Me and Lisa talked about this and said, hey, let's draw a line in the sand and say, hey, we're not selling into the conventional industry anymore. Everything we raise on this ranch is going direct to a consumer, either through a restaurant or grocery store, or actually hand-to-hand direct to a consumer, like at a farmer's market. And that really was the breakout for us. In theory and in practical application, when making that decision, you know what you need to do. But a huge part of that is storytelling, which I think directly parallels the restaurant experience, right? That steak on your plate could be $16 or $65. And yes, 30% of it has to do with what's actually on the plate. But 70% of that is the story that you tell. And so I'd love to hear in those private moments as you guys are building out the infrastructure for this, what was the story you decided to tell your consumer? So I think you're completely right about that. And from the very beginning, we came up with the name of our business, which was Stemple Creek Ranch. And we made our first very rudimentary five-page website. We decided that we were going to open up the ranch and do free tours and basically allow anyone to come to the ranch and meet us and to see the operation who wanted to. Because we knew that that story and the transparency was going to be critical. We knew that every person was not our target market, but that who our target market was, was going to be willing to pay our price. And that would allow us to not be a price taker at an auction with a commodity, but to be able to set our price and actually have a profitable business. Did you have a muse out there? Did you say, we want to be like this ranch or this farmer and position ourselves in this way? Quite frankly, Lauren had some ranchers, some grass-fed, grass-finished ranchers that he looked up to and admired and picked up the phone and called and said, hey, how can I learn from you? There was people that were doing it, but I think we always envisioned doing it in a slightly different way. Truly, every step of the way, we've just been figuring it out. 10 or 12 years ago, when we really started getting into it, we didn't have this goal of being like, oh, yes, we want to be in every Michelin star restaurant in San Francisco, or we want to be in every high-end mom-and-pop grocery store. We basically had the goal of selling all the product we raised on our own farm direct to people. And it's just parlayed and parlayed and parlayed 
to the point now where we have cooperator farms that help us raise cattle to our standards or use our genetics and their grass to be able to fill all the orders because our demand is higher than what we could produce ourselves just on our own ranch. And a huge turning point for us was pretty early on, Lauren and I bought the ranch that is next door to his family's historical ranch. That was huge because it gave us our own home base. We had this amazing location to do all these ranch tours and bring consumers to us to learn and to experience. And that has been a huge part of our journey. Let's talk about that because I think it's something really, really smart. I would argue that if there's one thing that ranchers of old and restaurateurs of old have in common, or at least everyone pre-pandemic, it's that everyone has one business plan for the most part. It's for restaurateurs, it's I'm going to open this place, people are going to come in, they're going to eat, hopefully they're going to come back and tell their friends. And ranchers had a singular revenue stream that they focused on that I think you really articulately explained in the earlier part of this conversation. But that wasn't your plan or your mission. You guys always had a central focus on diversifying revenue, right? Yeah, agriculture, very similarly to the restaurant business, it's a very risky business. It's not an easy business to be successful in. And Lauren and I are both obviously risk takers and that we're willing to take risks, but we're also conservative and that we want to be secure for our family and for our children. And so from the very beginning, we wanted to have a diversified business and we're diversified in many ways, not just in, okay, we have beef and we have lamb and we have pork. So that's one diversification, but we're also diversified in that we've created this event space And so the event and the educational space has helped us grow our direct-to-consumer agricultural business by bringing people to the ranch and educating them and bringing them into our fold to learn about what we're doing and what the other local producers are doing in West Marin and West Sonoma counties. But it's also allowed us to host weddings and corporate events and nonprofit events. And we have some little cabins that we rent out, and that has allowed us an additional leg of the stool for stability. Let's talk about things being better for the planet. I've heard you describe yourselves as in the photosynthesis business. Can you define regenerative agriculture and how it plays a role in what you guys do day to day? Regenerative agriculture actually seems like it's a real big buzzword nowadays. And so there's lots of different definitions for it. But for us, regenerative agriculture means we want to have something growing in the ground, living. And when I refer to ourselves as photosynthesis farmers, if we have a living root in the ground year round, we're actually capturing one of the only free things we get on the planet, which is sunlight. And we're converting it into food for the soil, which ultimately creates carbon through photosynthesis. I'm not sure if that answered your question about regenerative, but regenerative to us is growing, living, biodiverse soil and bird life and other animals on our property at the same time as raising super high quality nutrient dense food, really as a result of creating photosynthesis. It just seems like it wouldn't go together though. I mean, you're raising beef and lamb and pork in in a carbon neutral farm. I would actually say we're a carbon positive farm because It takes those different animals. And if you don't get confused with the facts of the marketing of the big companies out there that are promoting 
laboratory meats and those types of things. Beef is not really the issue for global warming. Everything in the world is bell-shaped curve, right? So there's extremely neutral to positive ranchers and farmers like me on the right side of the bell-shaped curve. And then there are some gross polluters on the left side of the bell-shaped curve. And so there's a whole bunch of people doing good work in the middle and to the right. And the industry is trending towards the right. But really, when you look at what Mother Nature intended, at least this is my story, thousand years ago, there was millions of ruminants on the planet. And the ruminants have a way of upcycling nutrients. So basically, a plant grows and ruminant eats the plant and it goes through their body and gets deposited back on the soil to help fertilize the soil to make the plant grow again. And that's part of the whole process of building soil. Without the ruminants, you're not going to build soil. So it's a really important message that sometimes people get too confused about. And we've made so many mistakes as an industry, but as humanity in terms of messing with Mother Nature. But now we have to use the tools that we have to try and recreate what Mother Nature intended hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago, which in, to me is a full cycle of plant growth, animal harvest, deposits, nutrient dense fertilization back onto the soil. It's complex, but it's science and it's pretty simple when you cut it right down to the basic scientific way of building soil. Getting granular, I've heard you say before that people would look at the land that you farm on and they would think, oh, water must be the biggest hurdle, but it's not, right? The biggest lacking nutrient in our soil is not really water, it's air because the soil's compacted. So we need to have a living root or worms or other types of biodiversity in the soil so that we can have life in the soil. But well, I just think you've come up with a really interesting solution because in years past, the solution was to till the soil, right? To aerate it that way. Well, that's a very common practice that humanity has been doing for thousands of years. But when we're tilling the soil, and we're doing it over and over and over again. We're taking ancient carbon and releasing it into the atmosphere for short-term gain. And so what we're trying to do is not till the soil, but at the same time, create lots of life in the soil by getting air into it without using tractors and plows, but with using roots and worms and grazing to create more carbon in the soil. Walk me through your individual roles at the ranch. So Lauren's the rancher. He's in charge of all of the different ranches and the animals and the pastures. And he's the regenerative agriculture guy. And he also has a big hand in our outside sales with our wholesale accounts, grocery stores, restaurants, things like that. Lauren worked in sales for 17 or 18 years before being full-time Stemple Creek Ranch. So those are skills that are naturally his expertise. And I am in charge of more of the business side of the business. So I run the finance, the marketing, the operations. I manage most of our staff that is not physically working on the ranch. I'm super curious. So in restaurants, there are so many moving parts. The things go wrong every single day. And so most of us struggle our entire careers with how to work on the business without getting overwhelmed by working in the business. And if that's that way in an individual restaurant, I mean, my God, what must it be like at a ranch? Do you guys struggle with that? And if so, how do you work around it? How do you overcome it? 
It's interesting you say those words because those are exact words that we use very often. And we actually went to, there's a program called Ranching for Profit, which is a business school for ranching. A huge part of this school is it talks about that, the dichotomy of working in the business and working on the business. Whitby and Whatby. Yeah, Whitby and Whatby. And that program was really transformational for us because it helped us understand really the difference of urgent and important. Like, okay, it might feel urgent for you to get out in that pasture and fix a fence or help an animal or blah, blah, blah. But the important part of working on the business is really the more important work. And so, yeah, we struggle with it on a weekly basis. But we, I would say for the past nine years, have placed a huge premium of working on the business and setting time aside to work on the business and making those hours really sacred. One of the things that Lisa and I have really tried to work a lot on, and we're still a long ways from getting there, but we want to create a real business. And both in the restaurant world and in the ranching world, a lot of times the rancher just is really good at raising animals, but not necessarily really good at business. And the same with the restaurant. The bakery might be really good at making amazing pastries, but horrible at business. So we're trying to put systems in place so that even if we don't show up, the business is going to keep going and make it a real business, not just a lifestyle. So 2020 was a profitable year for you guys, was it not? It was. How is that humanly possible? <laughs> well, it was, I think we shaved about five years off of our life of stress and sleepless nights as the rest <laughs> of the world was in the same boat. But here's how it was possible. So our main segments of distribution are we sell to locally owned grocery stores, we sell to restaurants, and then we sell directly to consumers. And directly to consumers, we sell at some local Marin County farmers markets, and then we sell online. We ship boxes to all 50 states. So again, going back to the diversification conversation, we already had diversification in our distribution model, and that was not an accident. It was very intentional that we had different distribution channels. And at some points, I've questioned that, thinking like, okay, are we trying to be too many different things at once? But it's just what we've done. It's been contentious in the past as yeah. well amongst us yeah. because restaurants, for example, sometimes can be a big pain in the ass to work with compared to a direct-to-consumer or vice versa. You know, it's like, well, do we really need to do all of this? And Lisa's right. been very, very clear about, hey, we want to have all of these different yeah. go-to-market strategies. Yeah. I've been a firm believer that our different distribution channels support each other and that you can't really look at them as completely separate because the fact that we have a direct-to-consumer brand makes us more desirable to grocery stores and to restaurants. And the fact that people can walk into a restaurant and see our name on the menu is going to support the fact that then they're maybe going to go to our website and buy a box that's going to be shipped to their door. It's an ecosystem. They all support each other. But so anyways, if we go back to March 2020, of course, we lost, I don't know, 95% of our restaurant business overnight because most of our restaurant customers either closed or were only doing a very small takeout business. And if they were doing a takeout business, they certainly were not doing takeout filet mignon or very high-end food. It was just like a whole different type of product and service that they were providing. And so we had all of this product 
both that was like in our cooler ready to ship and that was walking around in the field ready to be harvested. But then at the same time, our online sales and our local farmer's market business completely skyrocketed. We didn't have pre-planning for that volume of product going out the door. So our expenses were completely through the roof. But thankfully, things really evened out and the year ended up fine for us, which we were incredibly thankful for. You know, the other part about that, Josh, is it was very nerve wracking for us because we have very close relationships with our restaurant customers. You know, it's first name basis type thing. They put all their love and effort and work into their business and to see them struggling really, really, really hurt us emotionally. So it was great for us in some ways that our business was still surviving and the pivot was working, but it was hurting us. And we were so concerned about them and so concerned about our staff. And it was just like, okay, who's going to get COVID tomorrow? What's going to happen here? Or should we have all of our people in the same room or make sure it was just a cluster, but we made it. (laughs) Yep. Hallelujah. What's the future of the ranch? What are you guys looking forward to? Any new innovations coming out? Where do you guys see yourselves in six months, a year? I'm always asking that question. And Lisa and I are always having that conversation too. But what I would say that the future of Stemple Creek Ranch holds is we want to keep growing and providing ultra premium, high-end grass-fed products to consumers, either via the restaurant world, the internet, or grocery stores. And we want to keep growing as long as we can keep honesty, transparency, and quality in the mix. We will keep growing and maybe become a little bit more regional instead of just California-centric. We ship boxes all over the country right now, but the big majority of our business is in California. Maybe we could branch out of that a little bit into some other markets in the next few months. And maybe I think there's a big opportunity for us to do more value-added type products like sausages and salamis and other types of pre-marinated meats and those types of things. But that goes into a whole nother level of challenge with us and processing and the ability for us to get all that done. But I see that happening. Yeah. I mean, we're not necessarily set on, oh, we have to grow. We have to keep growing. We're more, if it works and if we can grow in a way that feels right to us and that we can stick to our three pillars of business, which is honesty, transparency, and quality. And if we think we're adding value and reaching more people and that we can raise the animals to fulfill the demand, then we'll do it. And if at some point we feel like we've hit the wall and we're going to stay where we're at or even contract a little bit, that's okay too. But our whole goal is to be able to have a business in local agriculture and work with a staff that we love working with day to day, provide a great product and have a good life and a good business. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you guys have any advice or words of encouragement for the tens of thousands of restaurateurs and restaurant operators listening? There's one thing that I've been thinking about that we haven't discussed directly with restaurants. And that is that when we started working with restaurants, we had a lot of words of warning from people of saying, oh, you shouldn't do that. Restaurants are so hard to work with. They never pay their bills. Their order changes every week. It's so hard to do it. Don't do it, Stumble Creek Ranch. And 
I think what we've tried to do is to recognize that it's not going to work for us as Stumble Creek Ranch to work with every restaurant out there. It's not always going to be the right fit. And that's okay. Like we don't need to be everything to everyone, just like every restaurant. It's not going to be the right restaurant for every single person dining out. And what we've tried to do is find restaurants that can be a true partner to us, which means, no, you can't only buy ribeyes from us or you can't only buy tri-tips from us. We have to sell the whole animal. So there's a little bit more of creativity and diversification that's needed. And yeah, there's been plenty of restaurants that don't pay their bills promptly that we've respectfully declined to work with. And that's okay. And I think that that's the same on the restaurant side. You've got to find your niche. You've got to find who your customer is and then just really cater to that avenue. That's Lauren and Lisa Poncha. For more on the Stimple Creek Ranch, go to StimpleCreek.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.